excuse me, just maneuvering. Am I on? All good? I like to be able to feel you guys, so just excuse me as I move this along. I think um, I always wonder why they sent us to, to uh, be, chop, be part of that church in the pub. Uh, I wonder if it was something to do with who we were or that we'd be easier associated to, but I think there's, there's probably some truth in that. Um, it's great to be with you guys. I'm so excited to share in the third and last part of our Like, like Father um, series. But before we, we do that, who, which of the men were part of the um, Freedom series this last Wednesday? Put your hands up. Hi. Okay, awesome. Guys, I think what I've experienced in that is just amazing. What, um, there was real life change that happened in that space. And I was so encouraged at the end where Craig, Craig Mundahl just shared something. He said... He asked us to do the same thing, put your hands up, and we counted each other, and I think there were about 14 people in the room, and he reminded us that Jesus needed 12 to change the world. And so I'm just so encouraged in that space and in that time together as men that we come out learning some truths that literally have the potential to change the world around us. So I encourage you guys, those of you that have been joining us in that time, just to see it through. Uh, I'm really hopeful that, that God will do amazing things. So who else was on the beach this morning? Did anyone else go down? I know some guys were fishing, some guys were, were surfing. It was just the most amazing time. It was beautiful. I had the privilege of going down at about 7 o'clock. Um, I'm laughing because I think some of you will resonate with this. Um, <laughs> I felt like saying, like, like a, um, you know, an Oscar speech where someone says, Thank you so much to my wife for, for this. But I really felt like this morning was like that. She gave me the opportunity to go down and experience just the most incredible thing. Guys, we live in the most beautiful space. Like Salt Rock, Sheffield, Belita is just beautiful. And I, I was just blown away by having the opportunity to, to go there, knowing that at home it was chaos. Ask Jess to show you some photos. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot to go that goes behind this, this type of thing, this preparing for a preach. Um, and I just wanted to thank my wife for that opportunity and encourage you guys to just remember that we live in the most beautiful space. So, so take, take cognizance of it and use it. So today we're looking at the third part of the series, Like Father, like I said. Um, I'll just quickly go through it. In the first, first week, Ross just reminded us about who the father was. So he shared his, his personal story about his relationship with his, his dad. Um, so his dad had left him um, when, they, when he was young, and only until he got a stepdad who came into his life and reminded him of the principles of what it is to have a father, someone that defends you, someone that there's a warrior that fights for you, and how that identity and acceptance is just so, so key. So I really encourage you guys to listen to that. He also reminded us of why Jesus came. So Jesus didn't just come to die for us, which we know, he also came to reveal the Father. He also came to break the works of the devil so that we can go to the Father. It was amazing. Please, please um, spend some time. It's on Spotify. Um, or if you need to, chat to someone um, that, at the back about how to get, get those comms. Uh, last week, Gary spoke about the, the, the first part of the story of the prodigal son. Today, I'll go into the second part. And that's the younger brother. And the younger brother is... Um, the, the story about how, the, how he left his dad. He left his dad and pursued the wild living. He, he was so um, brash that even while his dad was alive, he said, Dad, I want your inheritance. 
I don't believe that this relationship is worth it. I want what you have, not you. Let me take it. I'm going to go search for this, this essence of life. And in so doing, he wasted it all. And at the end, we realized and we, we, Gary taught us the fact that, or reminded us of the fact that there's such a radical, reckless love that's available to us that the son wouldn't have dreamt of. He wanted to come back as a slave into his father's house. And his dad opened up him with, opened up with, with wide arms and said, come in, my son. So today, I want to look at the second part of the story. As church uh, I don't know if some of you might have grown up in, in, in church environments or heard the story, but it's not often that we actually hear the second part of the prodigal son story. In some translations, it's actually referred to as the parable of the lost sons. There's two sons in the story. Um, why is it that we only hear the first, first part? Um, today I'm going to go into that. I'm really excited. I think there's some truths that a lot of us can hear, so stick with me as we go through it. Growing up, there was always this, for me, there was this uneasiness. There was this chafe in the older son story. I could resonate with the younger son. There's grace. There's love coming through. But the older son, the guy looking in from the outside, I didn't really get it. And there's a few questions so that I'd like to answer, help us answer today on the journey. It's why the older brother can't accept and can't celebrate when the younger brother comes home. Why he can't accept this radical grace? Why Jesus' love is not fair, but why that's so freeing? And how many of us lives, live as slaves and orphans, even though we're seen as sons? So I'd like to propose that this is all to do with two key things. One, how we see the Father, and secondly, how we view and define ourselves. So stick with me as we go through that. Um, in unpacking this, this, um, this passage or this series of scripture, um, and I'm talking about Luke 14 and Luke 15 today, I was blown away by the start of Luke 15, and it goes like this. I'd never seen it before. It says, um, Luke 15, chapter 1, Nat's reminded us that I can't look behind me, so shout out if it's behind me. It's there. Okay, okay, good. What's there, though? No. Luke 15, chapter 1, um, sorry, Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, The tax collectors and the notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I was stuck by this, struck by this, because it seems in this passage that Jesus is attractive to these people. It's not quite the story that we, we, we know, we hear about in church. It goes on and it says, This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating himself with such sinful people, even eating with them. Today, I want to unpack this countercultural view. Um, leading up to this is quite key. So in Luke chapter 15, <clears throat> there are two parables before this, uh, parable of the, the lost or prodigal, prodigal son story. It's the parable of the lost sheep, and it's the parable of the lost coin. <clears throat> Remember that in this case, there's two, there's, there's, both of those stories end in a very certain specific way. They end on the fact that there's radical grace that invites the lost people in. And it ends like this. It says, in the same way, reading from verse 7, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God 
than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Last week, Gary unpacked the fact that the, um, the, the, he unpacked the story of the lost son, but before that, the lost sheep is, the, the shepherd goes out into the hills he, fi- hills, he finds the lost sheep, puts it onto his shoulder and gets home and he celebrates. Why doesn't Jesus end the story in, of, the, of the prodigal son like that? And I'd like, to, I'd like to put it forward that it's because Jesus is speaking to two groups of people. He's speaking to both the sinners and the outcasts, and he's speaking also to the religious leaders and the Pharisees who are standing in and leaning into his story as he, as he shares it. They're looking for the opportunity to be offended, to catch him out. Take a minute to picture that scene as we delve into the scripture. So from verse 17 of, of um, Luke chapter 5, the elder brother is about to get introduced to the story, and it goes like this. When he finally came to his senses, this is speaking about the younger son, the prodigal son, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. He, f- he was filled with f- love and compassion and ran to his son, embracing him and kissed him. He said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and, and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he was found. And so the party began. Enter in the older brother. Put yourself in those shoes. How would you have felt? Embarrassed. Embarrassed, yeah. I think excited. Remember, he hasn't seen his brother for a long time. He's potentially beyond stoked that the son, this brother of his that he's missed has come down or come home. We didn't know, he didn't know if he was okay. He didn't know if he was alive. Let's see if that's how it plays out. So from verse 25... Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Again, why didn't Jesus just end the story at the end of the, 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 the son coming home, the younger son coming home? I'd like to propose that the truth of that is that grace has been told and we would all be blown away by the radicalness of this gesture. But we'd be missing a part of the story that we can resonate with so much. And that is the story is both for the sinners and for the religious. Those people that have both run away and those people that are still with Christ, with God, but are potentially missing the fullness of what it means to be with him. 
And in that context, the story is so much more than just the story of a broken son, a single broken son. It's the story of two broken sons. And not only is the younger son in, in, in need of revelation of sonship and inheritance, but so too is the older son. Jesus' principles are told to set all of us free, both those that are, have run away and those that are still with the father. And so let's see the, the older brother's response. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. The brother wasn't embarrassed or even excited for the younger brother. He was incensed. He didn't understand this fact that he deserved this. He felt it was his. He'd been slaving away, he'd been working, and now it was taken away for, for someone that did not deserve it whatsoever. And like, I'd like to propose it's because of the mindset of the, youngest, of the older, older son. <laughs> so are you tracking with me on the older son, the younger son? I'm juxtaposing these. Um, so I expect you to say, you know, take a step back, remind me. So we're talking about the older son. And I'd like to propose that the older son couldn't accept this because he saw himself in two specific ways. He defined himself around two specific principles. The fact that he was an orphan, he saw himself as an orphan, and he saw himself as a slave. I didn't understand this concept of, of what an orphan was because in our society we see so much brokenness, so many orphans. But in that context, an orphan was, is someone that obviously had their, their, um, their parents and those that were looking after them had gone away. They were either deceased, they were taken away, they were stripped away. But in that context, there was an inheritance that was passed down as a result of being an orphan. So orphans receive inheritance, but because they are still young, and we're looking in the context of kids, they're still young, they can't access it. Galatians, which, which we'll get to later if we get the chance to, speaks about how um, orphans can't access it. They need guardians to enforce it because they can't be entrusted to live out that inheritance. Or they can't be entrusted to, to, um, to wisely use that inheritance. So because of that, they see this resource availability as being something distant. They also understand that there may be two or three of the children in the family, and so there's a limit on that, re that, that inheritance. I know that I have to share this inheritance with my brothers or with my sisters. And as a result, if someone else gets a portion of it, it means I get less. And this is how the brother saw it. The orphan-hearted people see themselves in competition with someone else. And as a result, they can't celebrate they can't celebrate the younger son coming home. So look what he appeals to also as, to his father. He says, Father, I've been faithful for so many years. How can you do this to me? Secondly, he saw himself as a slave. Remember the story about the younger son? He came home to be a slave. In his view, in his worldview, it would be better to be a slave in his father's house than to live out there on the on the pods of the pigs. 
But the older brother was also a slave. He had the mindset of it because he saw that um, slaves do things for payment. They do things for reward. The reality is sons do things to be with the father, not to have his things. So the, the scripture says, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. It carries on and says, and in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast for my friends. As I said, he sees God as stingy. He sees the father as unfair and he doesn't understand this limitless resources. The older brother also wants the father's things, not the father. And he wants to try to earn to get them or receive them. I think what it is about orphans, and if any of you are, are, are tracking me with me on this, it's the fact that orphans feel unentitled. They feel that, or they see themselves because of their weakness and not necessarily it's because of their strength. It's because of their outlook, that life is based on performance. I have to earn it because of this inheritance of mine I can't just accept and live in. And so they come to this conclusion according to the rules, or he did, the oldest son, he came to this conclusion according to the rules that because he slaved away for so many years, he deserves the fattened calf. What rules are those? Are those our rules? Are they the father's rules? Or are they his rules? I think today's message and the message about the oldest son chafes chafed with me for such a long time because I didn't understand this. I didn't understand the fact that the Father's resources are available to me, available to us. And this is what the religious spirit does. We see blessing as a result of reward, that it's something to be earned, that it's not about grace. You see, grace is the basis for father and son relationships. Works or performance is the basis for slave and master relationships. And the older son was just in this. He lived as a slave, and his reward versus, sorry, work versus reward system had just been broken. And as such, he sees the father's response as completely unjust. In church, we've seen this pattern roll out a number of times, and it may resonate with you guys again. It's this, this reality of younger Christians coming into a church environment and believing that as a result of, and again, it's not, for, not as a result of anything you've done. It's just because of a wrong mindset or an incorrect definition of the Father and of yourself. And it goes like this. The person comes into church. We come into church. We believe that by serving, by even tithing, by throwing ourselves at the community, we are entitled to something. But all that ends up happening is we potentially get burnt out and we get better, bitter, sorry. And the mindset becomes, <laughs> we don't get better, we get bitter. <laughs> the mindset goes like this, God, I'm serving you. I'm throwing myself at this. I'm tithing. I'm loving, but I've come to the end of myself. Lord, how come, I don't have that house. How come I'm not married? How come my kids don't love me or my family life is easier? Where is my peace and my joy? 
How come you're not providing for me with that job? Why don't I have more friends? I deserve more. It's the same mindset. All these years I've slaved for you and did what you wanted or what I perceived you wanted and you've never given me. See, the mindset is I want God's stuff. We want God's stuff and not God. We seek the provision and the fruits as a part of the relationship. And we, we feel hurt because we've been so faithful, but we perceive that God hasn't been that in return. Like I said, the audience, is too, the audience that Jesus was speaking to was twofold. He was speaking to the sinners and he's speaking to the religious. He's speaking to the prodigal son. He's speaking to the older son. I'd like to propose that in this context, both are broken. We are all broken. You see, the son misunderstood his relationship. He believed that the father's view was that everything was mine. In church, we sometimes believe that we know that everything the father has is ours, but we still believe that we have to earn it by obedience and slavery. No, everything that God has is ours. And he's not waiting for us to, to earn it. He's waiting for us to receive it. Last week, Gary spoke about it's the kindness of God when we come to the end of ourselves. The younger brother did it and he returned home. The older brother just did the same thing. Let's read from 30, verse 31. <clears throat> His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Look at the father's affection. Look, my dear son, you've always stayed by me. The reward I'd like to propose this morning is around this. The reward is you have me. You've always stayed by me. The Father says the reward isn't in the things that I can give you. It's in the ability to embrace relationship with me. For those of you who are believers, I'd like to just take some time to consider what this means because it's quite an abstract thought potentially for some of us. What does it mean that everything Jesus or God has for us is ours. Some of us might have the mindset that it's not his things, it's, it's, it's something that happens, that the rewards, the fruit or something that happens after death, it's eternity. I'd like to propose that there's so much more to his promises and to relationship and fullness of being that happens right now. Um, I've got some scriptural backing for that. Um, so I'd like to outline six things um, that, that the Father tell, tells us are ours to embrace and to accept and to appreciate. And they are, number one, Jesus or, or God living inside of us. Number two, that all the promises have been fulfilled and are accessible for us. Number three, we have received every spiritual blessing. Number four, everything we need is in him and has been given to us. Number five, um, we have been given dominion over earth by faith. And number six, we, are, we have been given his spirit 
and as such we have been adopted into sons. So I'll run through these very quickly. Um, 1 John 4, 14 to 16 says, All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in him, and they live in God. All of God living inside of us as a result of his love. 1 Corinthians 1.20 speaks about all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. It's one thing standing on the outside and looking in. It's another thing stepping into the party, receiving it in our heart. Ephesians 1.30 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Jesus is, accept, is available to us. 2 Peter 1.3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. God has made everything available to us, but some of us still live like slaves, like orphans, and not like sons. As I said, we're working to try and get God to bless us when he actually already has. We think that if we could just get it right, then God will be able to use us, bless us, heal us, provide for us, open a door for us. Romans 4 13 to 14, this is number five. Clearly, God's promises to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants what was not based on obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. We can't earn sonship. Is that clear? <laughs> it comes through right relationship with faith. Again, religion requires obedience to God's law. Jesus came to fulfill that and redeem it. Galatians, again, picks the, paints the picture about the difference between a slave and a son. And it ends with, with this. It says, because we are God's children, God sent his spirit of, of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father, now we are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Back to the story on verse, verse 32 of Luke chapter 15. Sorry, Luke chapter 5. Um, it says, <laughs> 15. Thank you. Just testing. The father says to him, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The essence of the story really hit me when I was studying this, and it's about this. What do we exist for? Do we exist to celebrate and be part of God's plan for redemption? This verse says, yeah, we, he was lost, but now he's found. We had to celebrate this. I think one of the complexities and difficulties about this week is that we saw this tension between, I wouldn't say religion, but this religious spirit fighting for things that were good, but at the same time, something that was so lost, so broken, needing to come home, 
And I'd like to propose that for those of us that are elder brothers or associated with this, this mindset of an elder brother, the first thing that we need to do is understand that we have to celebrate that we get to come, that our, our brothers get to come home. And I'd like to also propose that the only way that we do that is acknowledge first and foremost that we were there and that we are in this process of being sanctified and saved, the Bible tells us. So we need to take the opportunity to look at the logs in our own eyes. And as a result, only love can come. Verse 10 says... Um, Sorry, verse 10 from um, uh, Luke 15, early on in the story, before we got to unpack this older brother's um, story, it says, In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over, of God over one lost sinner who, repent, who repents. That is what we exist for. We exist for the opportunity to see the lost come home to their father, and we get to celebrate it. I'd like to just paint the picture or remind us of the audience that Jesus was speaking to. He was speaking to the, the sinners, the lost, as well as the righteous people, perceived righteous people. And, and the, the text goes, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. See, the story of redemption isn't just for the sinners. It's for the righteous too. But in the righteous, there's a real need to understand that the righteousness isn't earned, it's given. And that the relationship with the Father isn't earned and isn't rewards-based. It's love-based. And so that's why this story for me is so shocking. Jesus tells us that both the brothers are lost. Both are in need of redemption. Both are in need of salvation. Both have a warped view of the goodness of the Father and are in it for what they perceive they, um, their, their Father's worth is. Sorry, the, the Father's things are and how it will benefit them, not what the Father is to them. The Father wants relationship. He wants real, authentic, celebratory, free. Not for gain, but for freedom and for purpose. God doesn't just celebrate the day when the reprobate, when the sinner, when the wild, the wild living misfit comes home. He celebrates the day when the well-behaving, when the well-meaning, when the self-righteous, when the scorekeeping, when that religious person comes home. So I'd like to encourage us as we wrap up that there's an opportunity to celebrate in love when the lost come home. And I'd like to propose that as Christians, we need to just realign ourselves with the Father's purpose and focus for us, which is the redemption of his sons and daughters into his kingdom. We're going to be doing communion. Um, if those can that are, are um, handing out the communion, if you could go and get it. While Shal comes up, um, I'd like us just to, to take a moment to associate with one or two of those brothers 
Or if you didn't, I'd like you to just put on the eyes of the Father or pray that the Father gives you insight into the way that you can perceive the world in front of you. As it's going around, I've just spent some time, like I said, on the beach this morning, and I was struck how, well, I was just praying to, to, to the Father and asking Him just to reveal to me what He wanted us to hear today. And one thing He said to me, what He didn't want us to hear was that we were just on, we just on the receiving end. So as radical as this grace is, as radical as the invite is for the oldest son to come into the celebration, to the party. I believe that God is also saying to us that we need to step into that place and be part of his mission to bring about redemption. I think in my life, I've had a lot of time spent where I've accepted or believed that intention is okay. So for me, the intention of trying to do the right thing or the intention of receiving the good gifts but staying in that place, the intention of, you know, reaching the lost. I'd like to encourage us today that as much as the story is about redemption and... Thank you so much. Um, As much as the story is about redemption and the opportunity to be invited in, It's also about the opportunity to embrace and align yourself with the Father's mission, which is redeeming this world. So for those of you that don't associate it with these two sons, just put on that mindset as we pray. Father, for those that associate with the younger sons who squandered everything in life, disrespecting culture, disrespecting their father and their family, searching for significance in all the wrong places. Father, thank you so much that your love has poured out Jesus by you on the cross means that until we realize, until we come to the end of ourselves, Lord, you are there and you are working. And so as we come home, the, the, the prodigal sons, the young sons, as we come home to you, Father, thank, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you blow us away. Thank you that upon your return, upon our return as, as, as lost sons, Lord, all of heaven is celebrating. Thank you for your blood, Lord. And for the older sons, those who have been with the Father but who haven't appreciated the opportunity for intimate relationship, who despite all the outward signs of morality and high standards are still hiding behind a facade of obedience and deeds and slavery and orphan, orphan spirit. But inside, we're missing the party. We're missing the real reason for living. So Jesus, as we accept your blood shed for us, Lord, just, Father, I pray that you use this time just to align us with your heart, which is that the real reason for living is celebrating sons coming home to you, Lord. 
in the beginning, Lord, you, you, created the, you created Eden, and Eden was a place where intimate relationship with, with you was common. That was the being, Lord, and since we've fallen today, Lord, I just pray that Eden, Eden is known again, Lord, that that intimate relationship with you becomes real, Lord, as we lay, lay aside as older sons the need to earn it. Lord, we just receive it. And so for those of us who are like the older son, I just pray that we take the opportunity to go inside to the Father's table where there's lavish promises, where there's provision, and where there's freedom. And I pray that as we take this bread, which is a reminder of his body broken for us, we remember that as a result of that pouring out and that breaking, Everything you have, Father, is ours. Thank you, Father, that it's your words, that it's your truth, Lord, that we are just your, but your disciples, Lord, on a journey of redemption and salvation and sanctification. Thank you, Lord, that you're in control, you're in charge. And Lord, I pray that in this week to come, we may just, you may just recalibrate our hearts and our minds from being slaves and orphans to being sons. In Jesus' name, amen.